Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the long talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. And we've got an interesting one today because it's not really just one sport, but it's going to be many sports that we're going to be talking about. And because I've got Jan Shearer, the head of snow sports, um, on for a chat today. How are you doing? Hi, Paul. I'm, I'm good, thank you. Now, I'm holed up in my, um, in my bubble still, pretty much, and working remotely. So you, as, even though at level two now, you're still... Uh, you're, you're still still sort of uh, still doing remote working and then uh, and, and waiting for further guidance as to as, as when the sort of groups get bigger than ten. Yes, we are. Although some some people are going back to the office in Wanaka, but um, for the most part, people are working remotely. Cool. Now, snow sports clearly skiing, snowboarding. Um, do you also do things like bobsleigh? Um, and uh, all of that sort of thing. How, how big and broad it does does snow sports cover? Well, we really cover the five disciplines as well as adaptive, and that's um, snowboard, free ski, um, cross country, um, park and pipe, and alpine. So we're um, responsible for those disciplines all under one umbrella. The other, those other sports you mentioned, and and anything ice as well, which is included in the Winter Olympics, um, isn't, doesn't fall under the snow sports NSO umbrella. So and, oh, so when you say pipe, you're talking, yeah, okay, we're talking, uh, again, that's on, on snowboards, not a pipe as in a, as in a, yeah, as in a track. Can well, I, the, yeah. correct. The yeah. half pipe I'm talking about is either snowboard or um, skiing. Yeah. Female, male, you know, there's, there's, there's events in that discipline, yeah. So did you grow up skiing? Is 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 uh, our snow snow sports being something that's uh, been in your blood for your, your whole life? Yeah, I have grown up skiing, just predominantly recreationally. Did a few club races, but um, yeah, a sport that's that I've loved really, and our whole family skis. So it's it's been a large part of my life. So um, and the other sort sort of the big thing that you're kind of famous for is is your yachting, obviously, uh, having been to the Olympics three times. And, uh, and a medal there. So was it uh, yachting during the summer and skiing during the winter or, or did you yacht all year round? 
<laughs> yeah, a bit of that. But obviously, when we went to Europe in the European summer, um, the skiing was cut cut short. Um, yeah, and I did. I pretty much did yachting uh, for three Olympic cycles, and that that accumulated to about twelve years. So that was great, and um, obviously hugely committed to the sailing at that time. But it was different to what it is now, in that we were. Um, let's say not as professional because that wasn't really a possibility we didn't have the high performance sport funding that they do now so we would self-fund to an extent um and and therefore we were working uh also we train after work uh, go to the gym at lunch times and then race in the weekends here and there used to be quite large domestic fleets which is quite different to what it is now so it was possible to do it like that and then have a couple of trips to Europe or the States or Asia and you know benchmark yourself and, and compete internationally and do your qualifications and your world championships and that sort of thing so it was quite different um, but all nonetheless all consuming you know if, if we weren't training for fitness or working or fundraising, we were competing or working on the boat, all that same same sort of um, level of commitment. So, and did you grow up sort of in a boat as, as a kid or what, what were your first sporting memories? Well, no, I'd be a little bit of an outlier and I'd also be um, a case study for balance is better, I guess, the, the latest um, catchphrase from Sport New Zealand because I did do a lot of sports right through my teenage years and it wasn't really until I shifted to Auckland um, that I pursued sailing. It was just a per chance um, getting friendly with someone who was a, a girl who was a laser sailor and just took it up from there and then uh, within about 18 months I think I scraped into the team to go to the world championships and and that sort of set me on a competitive international pathway and then not long after that um the olympics um had the sport of women's yachting for the very first time in 1988 and so that then became a goal and um it was in the 470 class so i pursued that with um with a one of my colleagues or peers Fiona Galloway and we ended up qualifying for the Olympics in Seoul and that was sort of the first time um yeah that women had been in their own you know in their own class and their own discipline at the games for yachting ended up um I think there's a bit more to it than just sort of stumbling into it I think a lot of a lot of effort um goes into those those sort of things but amazing that yeah the meteoric rise a year and a half from picking up the sports to to go into the world championships um yeah, it wasn't – I had done it. I, I won't say it was from woe to go. I, I, you know, I had recreationally sailed, and like I said, you know, that sort of bit of trying all different sports, you know, and I did the traditional ones, you know, like netball and, and tennis and, and varying ballet and all the, all the different um, things that kids try. So I had I had done a little bit of sailing. It wasn't from zero. It doesn't <laughs> – Just to – Yeah. And you, you qualified as a uh, mechanical design engineer, so that's um, that that uh, I guess mechanical working on the boat that all all, all helps all, all work together for during that period, or or was, yeah, was that well, not, totally separate? not really because it was an office based job. You know, it was a design engineering job that I had, and I, I specialised in mechanical services really, and I did that. Um, pretty much right throughout my career, uh, a sailing career, because I I kept working the whole time, um, at least in part, um, you know, decent chunks of time off as well. But, um, yeah, that, that, that is what I did, yeah. And then over to uh, over to Spain with your husband on uh, as he was working on America's Cup um, uh, 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 teams. 
did you um were you did you do carry on design work over there or what, what were you doing over in over in Europe? Well, actually, when we went to Europe, which was 2004 for the America's Cup, um, you know, prior to that, we'd already lived overseas in Switzerland and America with the America's Cup as well. But we moved for an extended period of time to Valencia um, with the family. I had two two children then. They were 10 and 14 um, by this stage. And so I stopped working. I was only working part-time, but I stopped in 2004 with my um, engineering job. And um, obviously couldn't work in Spain, and so, but you know that was that was fine because it gave an opportunity to explore the country and do lots of fun things and hang with the um, expat group, which was involved. You know, something like five hundred families had moved to Valencia for the America's Cup, so there was a big community there, and um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Five hundred families, wow! Um, that's uh, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a small industry, small industry in itself. Um, yes. By by that, uh, obviously, with the America's Cup coming back to uh, New Zealand, hopefully uh, over over the summer, um, with but only just four boats this time, so a smaller uh, a smaller fleet, um, I guess, than the one that you guys were uh, or the community you guys were involved in over there. Definitely, I think I think um, yes, yeah, it's, it's the difficulty of the design of the boat and you know the economic climate and. Um, yeah, varying other factors. Um, I, I think I think you know having the um, the new design of the boat has made it harder for new teams to to enter the cup. Let's say this time around, but it'll still be a really high standard and a spectacular event. Spectacular, definitely. I saw a picture of Luna Rosa who managed to uh, get their boat to jump out of the water um, this this last week. So uh, yes, it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be very spectacular when it does does come does come back. Um, any thought of the sort of foiling things, getting involved in the sort of in sort of small, some of the smaller disciplines, or Olympic disciplines? Do you think, or is it, uh, or, is, or is this foiling going to mean to still stay this kind of top end, elite, uh, elite class of, of sailing? Oh, no, not at all. The NACRA seventeen is a foiling cat that's in the Olympics um, this time around, and previously it, it wasn't foiling, but. Um, yeah, they've modified it to make it foiling. So definitely heading that way. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of little boats um, that are that are foiling as well now. So yeah, it's it's, it's right through. It, it's and and the windsurfing. You know, you can foil on the windsurfer and kite foil and all sorts. So yeah, there's lots of opportunities for foiling now. Yeah, it looks like it's yeah the one that's taking off. Um, I'll be honest, being not being a massive follower of or not being a big follower of, of, of surfing. Oh, sorry, of yachting. That's when you see the America's Cup, that's the bit of the way that you guess it is. It's a shop window, isn't it, um, to us casual viewers? Um, so then you actually, but after that, you, then you decided that uh, sports administration was the thing for you. Um, so what, what made you kind of move into that space? Well, I came back from Valencia and um, pretty much everybody was working. So it was kind of like, oh, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So I thought, oh, well, I probably should go back to work. And it took me quite a while to figure out what to do because um, – you know, I considered going back to engineering, but then I also had a, a lifetime of experience in high-performance sport, and I had done a master's and I'd done my thesis in or my dissertation in youth sport, and you know the factors that contributed to longevity in sport, and you know, with the potential to perform on the international stage, and so yeah, I just sort of explored the sector a little bit and. 
where I ended up was was in tennis. I mean, I loved tennis um, and followed it and, and played it at a club level. And that's where I um, ended up getting a, a role. And I was the um, head of performance for tennis for five years, um, which which was great. And it was a great team to work for. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, actually. So, yeah, I was doing that. And then I also still did some voluntary work in the sailing space as well. And my daughter campaigned for the 2016 Olympics. So I was um, and she went to those. So, yeah, I was pretty involved in sport one way or another. Um, so you said you had two kids. So was it you said a daughter and a son? So you, your son with one did, didn't didn't pick up the sporting uh, the the sort of the sporting bug like like the rest of the family. Well, he um, he did, he does a lot of sport, and he did um, represent New Zealand in sailing. But it was almost like a conscious decision that um, you know you could pursue an Olympic dream and and maybe not get there and end up with no medal and no money. So um, he he virtually made a conscious decision and he loved university and studying and so he just pursued that pathway and he's a software engineer. Um, And you're touching it there that, yeah, four years comes down to, well, in in some disciplines, one race, but in in, in yachting, uh, you're talking, it's a a regatta, so it was about sort of eight or nine races but and but basically again one event that defines your four years worth of effort. How did you kind of cope with that as a um, mentally or emotionally? And and how did you help the, the and when you're dealing with your sort of your high performance athletes? How do you help them with that as well? Because that's it's a lot of it's a lot of focus on a very short period of time. Uh, and if it doesn't quite go right, uh, you're a bad day. Uh, that can be quite de- quite devastating. Indeed, indeed, and that definitely does happen. But what nowadays it's more focused on training for a pinnacle event, uh, like the funding from High Performance Sport is based around you performing at a pinnacle event, which does emulate the Olympic situation mm-hmm. um, you know, as much as possible. Because when you do go to the Olympics, it's it's um it's also a big occasion, and you can be overwhelmed by that as well. So it, it is about performing at an event, and then. Um, with yachting, it's now it's it's up to about fifteen races, short races. When we did it, it was seven, um, but it's still quite a long event. And I think that you have enough time to. Well, I found that I had enough time. You know, you're anxious and maybe you, you're wondering what's going to happen, sort of thing. But you do just calm yourself into it um, because it is a long event, and you've done it so often, and it it just feels like another race which is which is one of the sort of cliche things that they say it's, and you know when you're going to perform at an event you don't want it to be something that's different to what you've done before so each time you race you you're thinking about I'm going to do my very best this is this is what I do I feel comfortable with this and and so it's just duplicating that over and over and over again until it becomes completely automatic so and um, yeah, it's 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 not gonna. The occasion is not going to overwhelm you. So that's when. So when you're working with those with in, in in tennis, that's what you're doing. Was saying, right, guys, we're going to emulate going to say the Olympics by targeting say the what the ATP Classic is it called uh, the in um, in Auckland or you, know, you, you you target one one event that year to be kind of like like let's treat this in the same way as you treat the Olympics to to help them get used to that kind of preparation and ramping up. 
Well, actually, my role in tennis was a little different to that because it's a professional sport. So here in New Zealand, um, the professionals don't aren't based here. So so there's those who are professionals funding themselves, looking after themselves. They're all offshore. Right. So the part, we were more about an athlete development pathway mm-hmm. and trying to help the juniors um, move up the ranks. And that was um, much further down the food chain as in the ITF um, area. And then they do – um, age group representative team stuff. To go to the Olympics um, in tennis, you know, for a young person, it, it's a long, hard road, and that wasn't really our key focus. Um, let's say we were trying to get – we were working towards getting someone into the top 100 mm-hmm. at ranking, and, um, you know, that was that was starting right from, you know, 10, 12 years old. And so you're trying to formulate that pathway through there. That said, um, the professionals, New Zealanders who were offshore, uh, they did in doubles go to the 2016 Olympics. And I guess I, I facilitated that, let's say, and went through the admin that was required to get them um get them entered and, and qualified and all of that sort of thing into the actual games and they put, they went and competed there. So that that was great. But, yeah, the role at tennis was was more about managing the team. We had a team of um, five. We had a, a tournaments director and two high-performance coaches, strength and conditioning coach. And so we, we would um, select squads and then um, give them opportunities to see if we could get, you know, one or two or three or however many to sort of step out and um, be able to compete internationally. So they had the opportunity, those top group, to go to Europe and test themselves. And for tennis, it's it's pretty difficult because, um, you know, we we have so many clubs with uh, the AstroTurf, which is not great for um, athlete development. There was a lot of challenges. We were very remote. Um, Yeah, lots of obstacles to overcome, but you know, we did our best and we, we got some of the best results, actually, the juniors have had in a very long time. So that was great. Um, you know, we had a couple of athletes at the um, Junior Grand Slams and they qualified for the World Teams Finals in the under-16 and under-18 groups, um, which is the top 16 countries only. So we were pretty happy with that, with our achievements along the way. But then, um, yeah, so then a few things changed and um, – an opportunity came up with snow sports, so I ended up moving to snow sports and uh, have been there for two and a half years. But it's it's interesting though that the the, the high performance is, is perhaps uh, defined slightly differently depending which which sport you're in. In some sports, it is going to be dealing with the, those those top top stars, but as you say, in other sports, that are, those top stars will look after themselves, and actually, it's about it's about creating the uh, the the, the sort of filling the funnel. Of, uh, of, of of getting enough people through and providing pathways for those that want to progress um, for them and so, so that they can progress. Whereas, yeah, I've seen, talking to some other sports, they haven't got those pathways in place yet. And, and if you don't have that, you're not going to have that sustainability and that continue, continued um, delivery of, of, um, of people. So as, uh, uh, as head of um, snow sports, when at the end of each year or... or or when you do your review, how much of it is down to how are you graded? Is it down to how many people make it as a professional, or how many how many total participants we have, or what's what, what are your sort of KPIs as a, as, a, as a CEO of a, of, of snow sports? 
Well, there's really two strands to the business. There's one that's this sort of service to the members and administration of the sport. Mm. And in that side of the business, we would try and provide some sort of pathway. Bearing in mind, though, that um, the ski resorts are the ones that really provide the, the programs for the athlete development. And we, we just string it together and, and we we would write rules, we'd calendar events, um, we facilitate entries to overseas regattas, uh, sorry, regattas, <laughs> overseas uh, races. Um, and then we would also um, develop selection criteria and, and provide rankings and um, also any major events, um, you know, we, we team up and, and, you know, select athletes and get uniforms and uh, provide coaching and, and so on and so forth. So that's one strand of the business. And then the other strand is the high-performance strand, which is quite a big part of our business because they um, – the athletes have succeeded um, on the international stage. And, in fact, the last games, there was two bronze medals and two pa three Paralympic medals. So there was five medals in total for snow sports, which gives us a reasonable amount of funding from high-performance sport. And so um, that pathway is measured, you know, with podium finishes and um, at pinnacle events all the way through. And so... In that, we have actually got a, a whole pathway that's up and running because we employ um, development coaches and elite athlete coaches. So in terms of a KPIs, at the end of the day, the the Olympics is the tell-all, but obviously you have to be tracking towards that and show um, various milestones along the four-year uh, pathway. So, I mean, Alpine... Um, and uh, sort of the cross country or Nordic skiing, they, they, I mean, they've got a long history, and it's always been the sort of Olympics has been the pinnacle for that. But your freestyles, your half pipes, your snowboarding—it's potentially been the X Games or other um, sort of Red Bull Games or, 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 or those kind of events. So, but 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 it's but um, you guys concentrate mainly on the the, the Olympic disciplines and not some uh, rather than sort of success at those other, 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 other events? Well, Park and Pipe would be the one that we have the pathway for and we're funded, well-funded um, through high-performance sport because, we, you know, we had the success in the Big Air and um, the Half Pipe mm -hmm. and then, of course, the Adaptive as well with, with the two athletes, um, Adam Hall and Corey Peters, competing and meddling at the Olympics. So those... Those are our main um, pathway, you know, with, with complete pathway. Um, uh, sitting underneath us is Free Ride World Tour, which isn't an Olympic event, um, and New Zealand does incredibly well at that also with um, several athletes on the World Tour. Um, Alpine is, is, is a very competitive and global sport, hmm. as is cross-country. So those sports are really difficult to um, – you know, to, to podium and let's say, however, in saying that, we've had a um, a young athlete come through just uh, incredibly talented and has airdropped herself right into the top end of the um, competition um, in GS. So that's, that's Alice Robinson and, you know, she's she's just a phenomenal athlete and, uh, you know, has, has pretty much done done it herself with the family backing and training overseas and so we you know that, that 
she will now be targeted towards the Olympics, but obviously along the way she also is doing her World Cup um, campaign, uh, which is sort of the international um, fizz pathway. So, yeah, so GS, for those that uh, giant slalom, so that's the kind of halfway between sort of downhill um, and slalom, if you've watched um, uh, what, what, what skiing. Uh, and so, okay, so she, she's, she's, got, she's done all that through, uh, well, a lot, a lot of it sort of self-funded um, and motivated, but now that she's got there, she'll, she'll, she'll get more support um, from, the, from, from, the, from NZ Sport. Um, yeah, High Performance Sport New Zealand, yeah, sport. that's right, yes. Get it the right way around. Um, <laughs> uh, so the um, on, on on that side. So on the 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 the, the park and the half pipe. Obviously, you need um, parks and half pipes to be set up. So have do do we have many of those in in uh, in New Zealand? I mean, I've, I've only ever skied um, down in. Uh, oh, I've gone blank. Mount um, Rupehu, and I didn't see one there. So uh, is is there is there many facilities in that for for um, people to, to, to experience those or try out those sports, those, those disciplines? That's a really good question for right now. Um, we have a, have a strong partnership with both um, Kadrona and NZ Ski, and NZ Ski uh, supports the Alpine athletes with lane space and training facilities. But um, Kadrona, uh, they have been fantastic and have supported snow sports and their program uh, through building features for the Park and Pipe. And they you know, if you if you go there, the terrain park is just, you know, a kid's dream or, you know, it's amazing. And then, you know, for the elite athletes, there, there is a half pipe and there's a, a big air and a slope style course that they can train on. So um, we are reliant on the, on the resorts to provide that for us. And um, in fact, this year with COVID, the resorts don't have the volume of um, – customers coming through at, nor the international teams which um, in effect you know support the build of those features so um, yeah there's a few challenges coming up for us this season regards that so it obviously it's essential for for the events and for the daily training environment that those facilities are available and um, yeah they're not available at every resort that's for sure so being a uh so a lot of the um, uh, athletes, I mean, it's the, the, these sports are very big out of Europe, um, the US in particular, and, obviously, and so when, when they haven't got snow, we do. So do we see those uh, those teams coming down here um, for training? Are we do it, and, and therefore, do we get sort of do we sort of get some sort of um, cash by hiring out training venues for them? Yes, yes. International teams will come down and rent lane space or. or pay to use the facilities to pay the resorts to use the facilities yep. yeah and and that all help that helps us of course as well because we we can get to use them for free so that's um that's that's a great deal for everybody really and, but with particularly with the park and pipe um because we have such a strong fields within New Zealand and as you've said, you know, there's no snow in the northern hemisphere when there's snow down here in the southern hemisphere. We do get quite a few um, high-level international um, competitors coming down and joining us. So that's so that's great for everybody. Yeah. Uh, do, do we have? Um, do, I mean, sorry, sorry for look some check this. But um, do we? Uh, what kind of uh, events do we have? I mean, do we have world tour events for um, for those as, as well? So do, do things like the X Games and, and Red Bull and stuff come down here and, and host events in New Zealand? Well, the main events are um, 
the ANCs, which is Australia and New Zealand Cup, and we have that both in Park and Pike and um, Alpine. Mm -hmm. But then Winter Games run um, World Cup events as well. And so they they put on um, those events, um, those FIS events, which are fantastic um, opportunities for our New Zealanders to compete in an international field and get points for their ranking, for their FIS rankings, which which then give them um, World Cup start places. And so that's that they are the main events. The the um, the World Cup events would be the highest level events that we would run here. The ANCs are what what you would call continental cups, which um, sit underneath the World Cup in terms of status or hierarchy in the FIS system. Oh, so we do have World Cup downhills and grand slaloms here. Um, so the default... no, no, in the park and pipe. World oh, Cups park and pipe, only in right. the park and pipe, not in Alpine. Alpine, we have Continental Cup, which right. is the ANCs. Yep. Uh, and then we have ANCs in the park and pipe as well. But then additionally, we have World Cups in the in um, park and pipe only. Yeah. The, um, okay, so yes, yeah, so the, yeah, the, the other seasons run uh, sort of October, November, well, November probably through to about April, May uh, up in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, the um, I used to, sorry, I used to ski a lot in, in Andorra um, a long, long time ago. Um, the so how, when you say that um, that when they've not been able to construct the the, the parks and parks, um, I mean I've, I've seen them in covered in snow. I assumed that there was quite a lot of earthworks beneath that, and that basically, or, or are they or are they just built purely out of snow and this and disappear each year? Oh, don't ask me too many questions. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, it's just like I'm not a civil engineer or a designer yep. of a half pipe. No, but jokes aside, um, that uh, there is a lot of earthworks. You're absolutely right. And they built uh, the first year I started, we we built a big um, big air jump, and that was a that was a lot of earthworks. And recent, more recently, there's been earthworks done for the uh, half pipe, which is a lot of work, but then on top of that, there's a lot of um, movement of snow required, in particular for the half pipe. So that's a big piece of work as well, you know, with with the snow groomers and and um, you know shifting snow around to pack it and, and get it all right. And then then the half pipe is is you know cut sort of on a regular basis to keep it in shape. I mean, it's an incredible feature when you see them in um, in real life. It, it, the, there are I mean, sort of a work of art, and I know that overseas, when you know, especially at big events like the Olympics or the Jew Tour or the X Games, you know, they they look spectacular. Um, whether it's the slope style course or the um, big air or or the half pipe, you know, they're they're real features that that are you know pretty awesome. So yeah, there's a lot of work in in building these features. Um, yeah, and they're a lot scarier and higher up than you think. When you're, actually, when you're actually on them, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, I, the, oh, yeah, it's incredible actually how high they go on the half pipe and the big ear. It's, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I did ski as a kid and did ski down a half pipe once. I thought, yeah, not doing that again. Um, the um, the okay, so so the, yeah, so they will will require construction. Um, now I did see that the government is working with the ski resorts about uh, looking getting them open, both well for, for recreational at least was in, it was in the papers. Uh, obviously having to manage uh, congestion areas around chairlifts etc and clean cleaning all those down um uh, but uh, but but so you, so you are encouraged that you will have some sort of season here uh this year but not uh, but maybe but not as big obviously without all the international teams coming down etc 
Yeah, well, obviously the borders are closed at the moment, so mm. there won't be any international people coming down unless unless the only chance would be if um, the borders were open to Australians, uh, yep. really. Uh, that's what it seems at the moment. And uh, so that, of course, has had a huge impact on the ski resorts. Not only, you know, their clientele has reduced significantly, but but it was also the unknown. Um, and so there's a lot of preparation that has to go in for this, those ski fields and, and that, um, you know, they just even as simple as hiring staff and like what we're talking about, the earthworks and the prepping of um, of the of the resort, um, you know, snow making, et cetera, et cetera. So they do need, you know, reasonable lead in times. And so it's difficult for them to commit to that when they don't actually, well, and they didn't, and they still don't entirely know what is going to happen. I mean, you know, who, who knows? We could have another outbreak of COVID and everything gets shut down again. Don't know. So that, that has been incredibly difficult for them. And I know that they've worked really, really hard to try and figure stuff out and, um, you know, predict what's the best model to go forward. Um, and, and in fact, just recently that some of the resorts have come out with, you know, we're going to open for the school holidays and then we're going to open just at the weekends or we'll open three days a week and then maybe five days a week if demand's right, et cetera, et cetera. Or we maybe, you know, they'll scale. They'll mm-hmm. only open a couple of lifts or whatever. But certainly, I mean, I'm based in Auckland, um, at the moment and there's lots of people here saying, well, I can't go to Fiji and I'm not, that Europe trip's cancelled, so let's have a big South Island ski holiday instead. So there will be more domestic. I'm pretty sure there'll be more domestic um, market than they've had previously, but it won't won't measure up to what uh, what they would normally expect um, if if the um, borders were open, because we do have a number of international teams coming and training here, and yeah, lots of lots of visitors from Asia as well uh, as well as Australia, of course, yeah. But so, do you hope to run a, a a national set of events this year, or or or, or you or you postponing, or, or still up in the air as to as to what? Uh... We're really optimistic that we will be able to run um, local, regional, and national events. Yep, that's a, that's the aim, and we're still running with that. It may be um, modified um, somewhat, condensed down, just to try and um, economise, etc. But um, yeah, we're hope, hoping that. Uh, that we can do do some part of our uh, calendar. Now, other sports, um, things like basketball, etc., have found that some of their international, some of their sort of professionals who would normally be overseas have got sort of um, trapped um, or, or, or found themselves in New Zealand um, and therefore might turn out for that. Are, 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 you, are you expecting to experience any of that? Are there any sort of uh, New Zealand um, professionals who are here that wouldn't you wouldn't normally expect to have in country that might might uh, turn up for these national events? Not really, no. Um, every well, in terms of our team, yep. we repatriated everybody once the borders started to close because there were a number of athletes who were, in fact, in um, at competitions and in yep. training camps. So we, you know, everybody in in our squad came home. Uh, but I'm unaware of it, of an international or uh, there may be the odd one or two who who may come and have come in here and got stuck here and so therefore can train with us over the winter. Okay, but you, you, you'd normally have all your all your people here in, over, over the winter anyway. There's not, they wouldn't normally be travelling around. Okay. No, no. I see. no from, we have a training block in New Zealand over the New Zealand winter. Now, I guess in some ways, the, the, the way the calendar works, obviously, um, you, you said you're, you're Olympic-based, but obviously that not Tokyo Olympics, 
you were talking about the, the, the 2022 Olympics. So I guess from, from that point of view, the your Olympic preparations, whilst obviously they've been uh, they've been impacted, um, you've 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 got time to cope with that, and that's not not had the same sort of impact and as as a summer Olympics sports. Something. Correct. Yeah, that's right. And our, our long term goal is still Beijing two thousand and twenty two, and we we need to keep focused on that. Um, however, it has been impacted, as you say. Because uh, we brought athletes back early from the northern hemisphere, so so they missed uh, a couple of training blocks and competition blocks, and then um, Winter Games was we're going to run uh, six World Cup events for our park and pipe um, athletes, and uh, they're unable to run those FIS events because the borders are closed. Um, FIS have said that you know unless international teams can arrive at the events and the borders aren't closed or heavily restricted, um, if, if that's not the case, then um, you can't accumulate points and run FIS races. So for now, we, those can't be run at all. Um, we, the ANC races are also in the same situation. So, yeah, that, that is, you know, impacted in terms of being able to compete and benchmark yourself against your international peers. But hopefully we'll be able to have a have good daily training environment here in New Zealand and and we'll be able to keep training. But from a financial point of view, um, do, does, that have, does that impact you not having those events? Do, do you get uh, financial uh, sort of income from those events as well? S- some and sort of, you know, through the back channels, it comes some money, etc., comes back to us for sure. But the main problem for us now is that normally these features that um, would be at Cadrona for the Pack and Pipe team, they are not going to be built because of the um, scaling back of Cadrona's activity this season. And so we will have to contribute to building those features so our athletes have a daily training environment and that's a direct impact of COVID so that's what we're working through right now with um, high performance sport and sport New Zealand because of course you know the response and recovery package that is being offered is you know related to how everybody's been directly affected by COVID and that's um, that's one area that we have been really heavily affected I mean there's other other um implications from COVID as well and that you know the class four gaming has stopped and then trust grants have stopped and lotto money isn't the same um which you know we received through sport new zealand um yeah so there's a number of uh of, of impacts you know from from all, a lot of different angles actually so but the, the main the, one is the main one is the the, the daily training environment yeah, for our I mean, the, the facilities right rather than the financial impact yeah yeah um just so people know, we're talking on Friday, the what is oops, gone blank. Um, the fifteenth, so the day after the uh, the budget and the sporting part of the budget hasn't been announced yet. So hence, um, so just if you're thinking, why aren't they talking about X Y Z money? Well, that's because we're talking before that X Y Z money has been announced, which is probably going to come out in the next couple of days. Um, the uh, and I guess actually, so one of those those pieces that you've that you've touched on there is that gambling money. Um, I know that some. Um, uh, that tennis is going to be heavily impacted because the Grand Slams haven't been available. So with TAB gambling, um, does skiing get is, is is skiing much of a gambling sport? Do you get much? Is is, is there much that comes that way from there, or is you just don't have the same exposure? No, no. We the TAB in New Zealand doesn't hasn't 
got snow sports on their repertoire, if you like. Um, yeah, uh, but so we're not reliant on the TAB. Certainly, um, yeah, not like tennis, which which uh, you know was well funded by TAB. Yeah, uh, which you'll have experience of because obviously, yeah, you you, you were there previously. Um, but uh, so yeah, there was definitely definitely a report about on, on on that side of things. So as you, you've you've been in there for two years now, what's your? We've talked, talked about sort of the, the the immediate things. What are your long term plans for um, snow sports uh, in New Zealand? Is it is it around uh, trying to get more venues or, or, or working with venues and having more competitions? Is it around having more athletes and trying to get them? Uh, get get better rankings in, in in certain areas. What's what's the kind of, what's the, you know, the sort of the five year or, or vision for, for for snow sport? Well, I think we, we focus on a competitive pathway, mm-hmm. and so it's about um, demonstrating that there is a pathway and um, making you know having transparency through that and providing you know providing opportunities for athletes that want to pursue that. Um, yeah, that that's pretty much it. it the main focus for snow sports um but additionally you know we are a service organization to our members we're a member-based organization and so you know we we also focus on nationally um reaching out to our members and with news and information and also education and um opportunities for them and I guess I guess what we're doing there is sort of pulling it together through a calendar, um, and, and um, you know providing a central focus for facilities and uh, administration and um, and opportunities for those who want to to go overseas and pursue their dreams. Ultimately, you know, right now, um, as you said before, New Zealand is so focused on the Olympics. Um, that's really the long term. Well, the medium-term goal is the 2022 Olympics, but then, you know, you discussed before, it's essential to have a pipeline of athletes coming through, and so there's some succession planning, and and so the athlete development space is very important too to keep that going, and um, and you know the the pathway sustainable. So as part of that membership thing, is that also making sure you have enough uh, ski instructors and running ski instructors courses um, around that? Um, I know Basie used to be the one that uh, a lot of people, a lot of people were used up in up in Europe. Do you, what's uh, is, is is there a set? Um, if someone wants to become a ski instructor, what are the what what uh, what qualifications do we have down? Do, do do you use down here? So the the ski instructing is is uh, is really sitting with the um, with another authority, and they oh. work at the ski resort. So so we don't sort of we do coaching. Coaching, ski instructing, yeah, and so um, poss- quite likely the the coaches have been ski instructors, and then they've gone into you know athlete development, and then maybe performance, mm-hmm. and then start working with elite athletes. So so then that development would come by a high performance sport because to become a high performance or elite coach, you have to be working with athletes who are behaving like high performance athletes. So so it's a bit of a chicken and egg. So you, you need some athletes who are performing and and behaving like high performance athletes and then the coach you know uh, grows with them if you like and then um, once they have success there's fantastic development opportunities through high performance sport and their um, coach accelerator programs and yeah mentorships and the prime minister's scholarships for development etc etc so that's really that that pathway um the other thing that we do is the rules for 
um, for the for events and um, hold judging courses, timing courses, because obviously timing's a big part for Alpine and uh, courts uh, sports like that, as opposed to judging, which is the park and pipe and the big ear and the slope style, etc. So there's there's judging um, courses and then and there's timing courses that we run and then there's the race organising committees that actually run the events and so we we provide um, some training for those people as well and that's that's pretty much um, a volunteer based um, operation and 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 what usually happens is that there's lots of clubs around the country and uh, they will have you know parents or volunteers who who help run the races and so they need some support as well cool so we have marshals and all of that side of uh, side of things um, as well yep Understood. Great. Um, thank you very much. It's been insightful as to as to as to what's going on in the snow sports um, space. Any final things I've I've missed out or, or that you'd like to you'd like to push as to as to where people can sort of find information or if they want to or or, or uh, you said I think you said you had newsletters or something to go out that people can uh, sign up for. Yeah, well, we have a website and a Facebook page that is, that's kept up to date. If you follow the Facebook page, you know we're the first with the results. <laughs> For um for any of our New Zealand athletes and uh, you know quite often it's fun for me in the morning you wake up and oh I wonder what's happened in Europe overnight and you know go on our Facebook page and there it'll be and a link to the live you know video or feed or whatever so um yeah that's um yeah that that's where the sort of hub of information from our end is um as I say you know it's it, it's pretty much that's based around you know the competitive pathway and how the athletes are doing yep. but then there's also um, you know the calendar is our is our other main sort of information piece if you like and so um, yeah we're where all our point systems are run and, and selection documents etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's all sitting there great thank you very much for your time um, folks I'll put a link down below to that um, Facebook page and website so if you're interested uh, go and click on that. If you're listening to the podcast on iHeartRadio, uh, iTunes or um, Spotify, then it's in the show notes as well. So go click on those. Thank you very much for watching. Please do click uh, like the Facebook page or um, subscribe to the podcast. And we'll have many more long talks coming your way. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 
the secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code GLOW.